So today is Memorial Day, and or this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow is actual Memorial Day. And so I, I've been thinking a lot about memorials and about the, the things that mark important events in our lives. And, and I have a, a confession that I, I really, really like social media. Now, I know that right now, in this day and age, the social media kind of gets a bad rap because that the people will argue on social media and they'll express political views and all that kind of thing. But once upon a time, when Facebook first started out, it was at its purest form, uh, an electronic yearbook. How many of you in here ever remember the yearbooks that we got when we were in school? Yeah, a few. A few of you are old enough to remember that. And in the yearbook, you would, you would take it around and you would get people to sign it, right? And they would like write little messages to you and you could see the pictures of all the groups that you had been in. And it was this you know, wonderful uh, memorial of, of things that you had done in, in high school or college. And, and you got to read all of those little messages. And you know, it's funny to go back and read them you know, 20 years later and think, wow, you know, that person said, you know, we'll be friends forever. Haven't heard from them since 1987. <laughs> but anyway, the, the opportunity to use social media to have that same kind of memorial is a really cool thing. And the, the awesome thing is that uh, if you put memories on Facebook, it will tell you about those memories. And, and there's a, one that came up this last week that my wife and I have, have enjoyed uh, every year for the last eight years, every time it comes up. And I want to share it with you. It's, it's about 45 seconds, but it's a good one here. Are you going to pick up a bug? He said, I need a walking bug, a live one. That's what he wants. He's a live bug. It is cicada season in Nashville. You can pick up one of those. Here, pick up this one right down here. Okay. Is it talking to you? Now what are you going to do? <laughs> what did it do? Um, I had to put him up. <laughs> All right. So that was during cicada season about eight years ago at my mom and dad's house. And uh, Zach, who is, uh, was the little boy that was in that, our youngest son, he was so excited to be able to pick up a, a walking bug, a live bug. And it was just this thrill and this joy that was in his heart that day as he played. And, and being able to see that each year when that memory comes up, it takes me back to that moment. And I remember how uh, awesome it was to share that with him. And we have a very unique family in that uh, Zach is our youngest, and he was our first that we adopted. Uh, we actually have a total of six kids that were either born to us or we adopted or they adopted us. And uh, so we have this uh, very unique blended family. And here in the middle of uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day, kind of halfway between, I was really thinking a lot this week about uh, adoption. And, you know, kids that are adopted have the best situation. You know, all of us that were born into our forever families, we, we have one day that we celebrate, right? Our birthday. But adopted kids, they get three days that they celebrate. They have their birthday. They have what they call gotcha day, which is the day that 
uh, the parents got that child, and then they have adoption day or a day, and so they get to celebrate three times. And when you're when you're little, and and your parents are wanting to to help hopefully make you feel very included today and part of the family. They make a big deal about these adoption days, gotcha days. And for us, these days represented uh, three very specific kinds of memorials. So September 29th is Zach's birthday. And that's a, a day of remembrance of, of remembering the day that he was born. And then his gotcha day is October 2nd. And that's a, a day for us a day of miracles because my wife had prayed for another child for years and we had not had another child. And we had looked at all kinds of different adoptions and we had, you know, uh, it just never been the, the right time or the right place or we didn't have the, the funds or whatever the case, but adoption had not just, it had not been something we had been able to do. And so we signed up through the foster care system where we were living in Ohio and we were signed up for two years, not a call, not a single placement. Two years had gone by and all of a sudden we're in Texas, a long, long way from Ohio, and we get a phone call in the morning that says, we have a placement for you, but you got to be here later today. I'm like, we're in Texas we just got here last night. We've only been here, you know, we're supposed to be here all week. And my wife and I, we said, we got to go. And 45 minutes later, we were at the airport and we were getting back on a plane to head back to Ohio. Didn't even fly into the same airport. Had to get someone to come pick us up because we, we just, we had to get there. And so it was a day, a memorial of miracles for us. And then we have his adoption day that is July 24th. And this is a day of significance for us because it was a turning point, a day when he was legally part of our family. And so that's a, another great memorial. And, and our caseworker, the entire time that we were going through the process of adoption, she kept saying, things don't happen this way typically. Your, your case is just so miraculous. And we just kept smiling because we knew that it was God working those details out. And so for us, these are all three very special days, but all different kinds of memorials. And if you read the Bible for even a few moments, you start to see that there's all these different kinds of memorials present in God's word as well. Things that point us to going back and remembering a specific event that happened. We read one just earlier as Pastor Greg read the, uh, the scripture for today from Joshua. And this is a really great story. This is a miracle story. Joshua leading the Israelites as they crossed the Jordan. But if you back up 40 years from that, 40 years earlier, the Israelites had come out of Egypt and had crossed the Red Sea in a similar fashion. The water split and the Israelites walked across on dry land miraculously. On the other side, they get across the Red Sea and they look back and the Egyptian army is closing in. And as soon as the Egyptian army is there in the Red Sea, the waters crush in and completely destroy the Egyptian army that was in pursuit of the Israelites. And they were miraculously saved. Days later, they're in the wilderness and they come to a place called Rephidim and the water there, or rather Mara, and the water in Mara was bitter. And God told Moses, say, just throw a, a piece of wood 
in there. And he throws a, piece, a branch, a piece of a tree into this water and all of a sudden it becomes sweet for them to drink. A few days later, they're at Rephidim and they have no water once again. And, and God tells Moses, go to this rock and take the elders of the town with you and strike the rock and you will get water. And sure enough, he struck the rock and water came gushing out. How many of you have ever been able to get water to come out of a rock? I don't think any of us have been able to do that. That was a miracle. It was something fantastic. Later, the children of Israel will be fed by manna, but it would just appear every single morning like dew on the ground. And then in the afternoon, quail would just fly in so low that they could just reach out and grab them and they had food to eat. For 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness, the, the scripture says that their clothes didn't wear out and their sandals didn't have to be replaced. Anybody in here got clothes that are 40 years old that they haven't had to replace? I, Tommy Kirkpatrick was here first service. His underwear was 40 years old. But the, most of the time, we don't get clothes to last that long. It was only by God's hand, by his miraculous power. And here in Joshua, we're reading a story where they're about to cross into the promised land, a land that had been promised hundreds of years before to Abraham, then to his son Isaac, and then to his son Jacob. And this promise had been made that they would live in the land of Canaan, but they got stuck. They got stuck in the land of Egypt. They had gone there to get food when there was a famine. And Joseph was the, the son of Jacob that was facilitating all of this. And it's this wonderful story of how God had someone in the right place at the right time. And the, the children of Israel, all of his sons were there with their families and they were saved from the famine. But then that Pharaoh who knew Joseph died and Joseph passed away. And now all of a sudden these Israelites are here living in a land and they're not friendly any longer. And so they became slaves to the Pharaohs and they were put under hard labor. And so they had been in slavery for 430 years before going into the wilderness and following Moses there. And they spent this time in the wilderness getting ready to go back to the promised land, a land that none of them had ever seen. Generations and generations had come and gone and they had not seen this promised land, but God had a promise for them and he was delivering them and he was going to do it in a miraculous way. And so on this particular day, Joshua commands the people at God's guidance. He says, I want you to go into the middle of the river. In verse three, he says, I want you to take a stone and put it on your shoulder from the middle of the river. Now, why did he tell them the middle of the river? Why couldn't it just be another stone? because he wanted it to be something that nowhere else could it have come from. This stone had to be from the middle of the river because nowhere, no way else would they have been able to get those stones on that particular day. And he tells them in verse seven, he says, the water of the Jordan was cut off in the front of the ark of the Lord's covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan's water were, was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. And so he's setting up the stage for this opportunity for them to remember this miracle. And in verse 20, it says, then Joshua set up in Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken from the Jordan. And in verse 24, it goes on to say, this is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. They needed something to remind them that God's hand was mighty. They had been watching his miracles for 40 years, but on this particular day, he wanted them to remember the significance of this event, this memorial of miracles. 
We all need memorials of miracles in our lives. I have a few that we have tried to make sure that we pass down by telling these stories to our kids. There was a time back in 1995 when there was an ice storm in Nashville, and uh, my wife and I had been at a, a basketball game at Lipscomb University, and as the night went on, we kept seeing people walk in with snow all over them, and we knew it was getting bad outside, but I, had, I was working at the game, and so we had to wait till it was over. By the time we got ready to leave at about nine o'clock that night, the snow and ice was horrible. And I don't know how many of you have been in Nashville a long time, but uh, back then, I think Nashville only had two salt trucks. And, it, you know, and neither of them had been out on that particular night. And so the roads were absolutely horrible. But I, being the uh, male guy that I was, wanted to get home and wanted to drive in the snow. And so I got in the car and we started to head home. And we were trying to cross I-65. We lived in Antioch, and I was just trying to get over I-65. And, and I started up Harding, and as we got on this hill, there were people off to the side of the road, crashed on either side. But I'm thinking, I am different. I will drive up this hill. And we started up the hill, and about halfway up, my tires started to spin, and the car started to slide backwards, and it started to spin and there was all these people just standing there because they were stranded and they just caught our car and spun it around and headed me back down the hill and, and we were you know, not gonna be able to go that way. And so then I tried another way and we were on this little windy road going through a neighborhood and I was trying to desperately to get to where we needed to go and the car started to slide again and I had no control over it and I was sliding off the road and there was a car that was off the side of the road already and we were headed right for it. And my wife, being the woman of faith that she is, she said, Jesus, help us. And at that very moment, as my car approached, we came within about three inches of that car, and I slid past the entire length of that car, not three inches away. God's hand, right there. Miracle stopping us from crashing into that car. God delivered us home that evening, three hours later, but we were home and we were home safely. Another story that we have is when we were five years later living in Paducah, Kentucky, and we were getting ready to take kids to camp. We were youth pastors. Uh, we were volunteer youth pastors, but we were full-time and we were uh, taking a week off from work in order to be able to take kids to camp. And back then I worked a commission job and so it was a very unpaid week off. And so it was not the best of circumstances, but we had always known that if we tithed and were faithful, that God would uh, help us through. And on this particular week, we were gonna be leaving on a Sunday. I had a, a, a mortgage payment that was due and I knew that I had to get that mortgage payment in the mail but I didn't have the funds to cover it. However, I was expecting a check from the insurance company that had been, it was already due you know, a week before, and so I knew it was gonna be, be there soon, and so I, I just went ahead and wrote that mortgage check and mailed it. And on Friday of that week, right before we were going to leave, I called the insurance company because the, the check had still not gotten there, and I, I got the disappointing news <clears throat> that uh, the check had not been cut yet. They looked in their system and they said, we're showing that it's supposed to be uh, sent to you on Monday. Well, I'm leaving for camp on Sunday and I'm gonna be gone for a week. And I'm just like, what am I gonna do? I don't know what to do. And I just prayed, God, please help me. We're, we're, going, we're doing this uh, ministry and, and we need those funds to be here. 
And I went to the mailbox on that Saturday and I opened up the mailbox and there was the check that I was needing. Don't know how, don't know how it came that particular day. The insurance company had told me just the day before that it wasn't even going to be cut until the following Monday, but that check miraculously was in the mail. And those kinds of miracles are the things that are memorials for my family. And I pass those stories down from generation to the next so that they can know the, the miracles that take place in our lives. And you know, sometimes people say, well, I, I just don't have that kind of miraculous thing going on in my life. You're just more blessed than I am. And, and maybe that's the case, but I think that there's maybe something more to it. There's the, the story of a, of a Christian man who was caught in a flood and he was, uh, it was a rapid flood and he's upstairs on, in the second floor of his home and the waters are rising and a boat comes by and they say, we're here to rescue you. And, and the man shouts back, I'm a Christian man who reads the Bible and I know that God is going to take care of me. He will provide. And the boat goes on. The water continues to rise. He's up on the roof and another boat comes by and he says the same thing. I'm a Christian man. I read the Bible. I believe in God and I think that he will provide. I know that he will provide and the boat goes on. Finally, he's up at the very tip of the roof. The water has risen and a helicopter comes over with the spotlight and sees him there and they call down from the speaker, sir, grab hold of the ladder and he shouts back up, I'm a man of God, I read the Bible, God will provide, and he shoes the helicopter away. The water continues to rise, the man drowns, and he gets in front of the Lord the next day, and he says, God, how did you let me down? I told everyone that I read the Bible, I follow you, and you would provide. He said, I sent two boats and a helicopter, what more did you want? And I think sometimes we think that the miracles are going to be more like the Jordan parting than something as simple as a check coming at the right time. And we just need to look for the miracles because us not having miracles in our lives is more about us not seeing them than it is God not providing them. And those memorials are important for us to be able to pass down and show the next generation that God is still busy doing his mighty work, just like he did for the Israelites in that 40 years in the wilderness. And as they crossed that Jordan River and they put those rocks together and the monument was there. The memorial was there for Joshua to be able to tell the people, to tell your children, to tell your children's children that God is mighty and he is able to take care of you. If you back up 40 years at the beginning of this time in the wilderness, there was a particular night that was pretty important for the Israelites, a particular night that was the culmination of days and weeks of plagues that were coming on Egypt. And the reason why those plagues were there is because Pharaoh wouldn't let the Israelites go. And God had sent a deliverer to them named Moses. And Moses had come after spending 40 years running away from his life in Egypt. He came back and he came before Pharaoh and he said, God has said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. I have slaves that are doing important work for me and I will not let these people go. And the plagues began to come. And a few times Pharaoh starts to give in and, and then he says, no, no, I, I can't do that. I cannot allow these people to go. And finally, after nine plagues have not worked, God tells Moses, I'm about to bring the final plague on Egypt. It's going to so devastate the people of Egypt that they will be begging you to leave. 
And here's what you're to do. You're to go and you're to find a year-old lamb or a year-old goat, and you are to prepare that goat for a meal, prepare that lamb. And you're to take the blood of the lamb or the goat and you're to put it on the lentils and the cross piece of your door frames on the outside of your home. And tonight, you are to eat that meal and you are to eat it prepared to, to leave, standing up, prepared, ready to go. And you are to eat that meal and eat the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. And he gave them very specific instructions about how to prepare that meal. And on that night as the Israelites were eating that meal, eating that feast, the death angel was going through the land of Egypt. And every place that didn't have the blood on the door, the door frames, it went into that house and it took the firstborn. And there was wailing that was heard in the land of Egypt from every household that did not have the blood on the door frames. And that night, Pharaoh told Moses, go, leave me, get your people and go. And God gave some very specific instructions to Moses on that day. In Exodus 12, 14, he said, this day is to be a memorial for you and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. This was a miracle of significance, a memorial of significance, a night that was supposed to be a turning point for them that they would constantly remind, be reminded of for generations to come. And the, this is still something that we celebrate today, the Passover feast. And this is something that we're able to look back on in the calendar and know that on this date, thousands of years ago, this significant thing happened in God's people. I have dates for me that are important, things that are memorials for me of important milestones in my life. July 23rd of 2010, I took the job with the company that I currently work for, and it, it was by far the best thing, the career decision that I have ever made. And so I look at that date, and I every year when it comes to July 23rd, I am reminded and remember how blessed and fortunate I am to be working at the company that I work for. I look at February 2002, that was a month where God spoke to my wife and I and told us to sell everything that we owned, move 600 miles away, and go to work for an organization that we really didn't know much about, but that organization was the Salvation Army. We worked there for eight years, we met people, we had influence in lives, and by being there and being obedient to what God had wanted us to do, we were in place when our son Zachary was needing to be adopted. Had we not been willing to make that big drastic change in our lives, we wouldn't have been there. There was a memorial of significance that we look back on and know there was a turning point for our lives. Labor Day weekend, 1991, I was a young man right out of college and I got invited to go visit a church that weekend called Bethel Chapel. It was very different from the church that I had grown up in. In fact, I was very uncomfortable and I, I stood there just clenched fist and and not wanting to really experience what was going on that first weekend. But despite that fact, I knew that I was there for a reason. And it was a few months later that a young lady from Michigan would move there to Nashville and start attending that same church. And it was at that same church where I met my wife. And that significant moment, that turning point was Labor Day weekend of 1991. September 23rd, the following year, that was my first date with Gala. 
January 4th of the following year after that was when I got engaged to my wife. And then March 18th, 1994, the next year was when we got married. These are all memorial days of significance for me. I could go on and on about special dates in my life and special events, but I'm sure you can think of those same events and those special dates for you. Those memorials of significance that you look back on and you know that my life changed on this particular day. The Passover feast was that kind of a day for the Israelites. It was significant because of what it meant at that time and because of the significance that it would have as a precursor to our final memorial that we're gonna talk about this morning. And that is the memorial of remembrance. On the week that Jesus was crucified, he celebrated the Passover meal with his apostles. And you think back on the events that were going to take place that Jesus already knew He was sitting there around a table with someone who would betray him, another man who would deny him, and another who would doubt him. But yet he shared a meal with them and he shared compassion and love. Even with the one that would betray him hours later, he shared that meal, that meal of remembrance, that last supper. It's set up for us in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 26. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have a lot of memorials that we in Christianity celebrate, and uh, Christmas and Easter are just two of those. And and obviously we, we embrace the celebration of his birth and his resurrection because those things are significant for us. But if you think about the fact that communion is the only memorial that Jesus instituted himself. He gave the example and he said, do this in remembrance of me. He said, take this bread and remember it as my body. Take this cup and remember it as the blood that I shed for you. And this final thing, this final act that he was able to do before his crucifixion, this final memorial that he set up was the perfect memorial of remembrance for us. It's something that we have the privilege of partaking in each Sunday morning as we come here. And maybe sometimes we we partake of this bread and this this cup of juice, and, and maybe we don't even realize the significance of it. But that's what memorials are for, and that's what this memorial is for us today and that we're going to partake of together. And so in a few moments when we come forward and we take, take communion either here or in the back or we take communion by intinction. This is gonna be an opportunity for you to remember the fact that Jesus laid down his life for us and that we think about his body and his blood each time we partake of communion. If everyone would stand. We're gonna have some prayer partners that are gonna be down front. Pastor Greg is going to be giving communion by intinction. And as you have opportunity to pray this morning, as you have opportunity to take this communion bread and juice, I pray that you will 
let it be a lasting memorial for you, a memorial of remembrance, that on this Memorial Day weekend that we would realize the miracles that God has performed in our life, we would realize the significant dates and times, the significant events of our lives, and that we would realize that God is moving in our lives in a miraculous way, in a mighty way. I'm gonna say a prayer for us and then you can feel free to come and take communion or receive prayer if that's what you need. It's gonna be a great weekend, a time of spending time with family. And I pray that this would just be the, the start of that for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day. Lord God, I'm thankful for the way that you watch over us, that you take care of us, that you protect us. Lord, I'm thankful you're a God of miracles, that you have a mighty hand that works in our lives. And Lord God, I pray that as we take this communion today, that you would help us to do so in remembrance of you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.